Colossians 4, beginning in 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the world, for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So as we were talking about prayer last week, and as we went through different things, we were talking about what Paul was saying about praying, and praying with thanksgiving, and uh, the idea is one of the ways that we show and that we actively depend upon the Lord is through prayer, or it's by prayers, by talking to God, seeking his help, seeking his guidance, seeking his strength, even sometimes seeking his help and just motivating us to want to do the right thing uh, in the right way. And again, that we had to do it with a, with a thankful heart uh, when it comes to uh, what it is that God wants us to do and, and what we're thinking about. So I want to read to you to begin this evening a, a, uh, a couple paragraphs from John Piper, who is talking about um, the need that we have to continually do, devote ourselves to prayer. So again, when we talk about that, we want to make sure that we have a good, I guess you would say a, a practical understanding of what that means. All right, so we're not, we're not talking about a hyper-spiritual activity where we are, I guess you would say, feeling a certain way. Prayer is, is a, is, it's a conversation with God. So when it comes to praying, remember number one, there is no required body position. Whether you're sitting, standing, kneeling, laying down, uh, the only uh, bad position would be the ones that practically interfere with, sin, with prayer, and that would be laying on your back when it's late at night and you fall asleep. All right? if, if you want to fall asleep, that's not a sin. But if you want to pray, don't lay on your back. You know, do something else. All right? There's been many times... Uh, I've, I've done this because my mind can easily wander onto all kinds, just t- start chasing rabbit trails. So there's times when I pray, I will stand up, sometimes I will pace a little bit, um, and sometimes when it gets really bad, I will, I will pray out loud. Now I'm not praying out loud so nobody can hear me, but I am saying, I am speaking audibly, uh, and I'm doing that to help me to focus. I do that sometimes when it comes to reading the Bible. You know, you read the Bible silently, and again, I, I just, I'll be reading a section, and the next thing I know, I'm thinking about either what that passage means or what I've taught before, or I start thinking about how I would teach it. Like, what am I doing? You know, I'm supposed to be reading through this, then start doing that. So there are times that I will, again, uh, read it out loud to myself. Um, and I'll do that slowly. I'm not speed reading. I'll, I'll do it slowly. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm tired... Um, or maybe sleepy. Again, I'll stand up and do that. So those are just practical things that I do because we're, we're weak physically. We, can, we have all kinds of things going on. So you just, it's a simple approach um, to do this. So when it comes to prayer, so again, you don't have to have any kind of special position. You don't have to have a special language. Uh, it used to be very common um, in churches where you would talk to an individual and you would talk I would say in normal English, then when they pray, they pray in the King James language. All right, now, some people do that because they grew up in a church where everybody used the King James Bible 
and that just kind of became a habit. But I want you to know that, that praying in the King James doesn't make it more spiritual, because there are some people who think it does. Right? So it, it doesn't. And if you pray that way, naturally it's okay. That's, it's not wrong to do that. But I just want others to know that if you don't pray that way, don't think that when you become extra spiritual or you get to a certain point, you'll be able to pray like that. That's, that is not the goal. Right? The goal is to pour your heart out to God, to talk to him about whatever it is that you are thinking about. Whether you're praying for yourself or you're praying for others, whatever it happens to be, you, you have this conversation with God. And if it helps you to pray out loud, then that's what you do. Um, it's just not where we go to God and just complain. But complaining to God isn't sinful. If that's all you do, you, you have a problem. All right? Remember that when you pray to God, you're not going to catch God off guard. Right? So he's never going to be shocked by what you say. Remember, he already knows what's in your heart and your life. Right? So Because I've actually been with people and they'll say, well, I, I just know if I can pray about that. I go, why? Well, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. I say, well, you know, God actually already knows. In fact, he saw you do it. And they go, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, the idea is, is uh, uh, God already knows all those things. But we want to be devoted where the idea is, is that you, we don't have to wait for a special time to pray. Now, if you have a special time that you pray, that's good. But it really doesn't have to be that that's the only time you pray. There are times, uh, I think it's a good habit to pray throughout the day. Just, you know, like, and I'll, I'll do this just because I don't want to forget, you know, because some of the people call me up and they say, I'm, this is happening in my life, can you pray for me? And I always will say yes. And almost always when I hang up, I pray for them. And, there, and the main reason I do that is because of my weakness. I know even though I mean to, if I don't pray for them, I'm going to forget. But the good thing is, often because I do pray for them at that moment, I also remember later because I did that. All right? but, but it's an important thing um, to do that. So let me, let me read, read this to you, uh, read to you what John Piper says. <coughs> he says, we have this need to continually devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is not some small thing. It is not some marginal thing. It is not some incidental thing in the Christian life. Prayer is at the heart of why God created the universe. You may have the modern secular notion that the universe is really about great galactic events and supernovas and remarkable expanses of time and space and energy. But in reality, the center of the created universe is man created in the image of God. And the meaning of man in the image of God is to display God's glory. And the way God delights to display his glory in man is by being depended on through prayer. Now, that can sound a lot of ways. It's, it's, he's correcting what he's saying, but think of it in this way, at least for those of us who are married. So when you, when you marry and you have a life with an individual, not only are we making a promise to commit ourselves to that person, but we are committing ourselves to a life that we're going to build together. And a major component of that is what? Conversation. Of all this stuff that goes on, if there's no conversation, that relationship dies. Right? So conversation is at the center of that. You could almost say, I would never say it this way just because it sounds really weird. Uh, but if I was to say, Cindy and I got married so we could talk. 
It's just like, really? Well, we didn't get married so we wouldn't talk. We didn't get married so we would stop talking. We got married so we could talk, meaning so we could share what? Everything, even dumb things. You know, we have, we have some really dumb conversations sometimes. It's just kind of goofy. And I know that you guys do as well. If people recorded the things you and your spouse talked about, you might be a little embarrassed sometimes. Because it's just kind of like, you know, like, you guys talk about what? You know, or whatever. But that's just how it goes. But the idea is, is that communication. So, now, also, there's this. This component of a conversation that we don't think about, which is important, and he hints at it here when it comes to how we talk to God, and that is this. Most of us, we might say this way, there should be kind of a need to talk to your spouse. Right? You know, you want to and you need to. Okay? So when it comes to that, why, why, do, we, why do we do that? Why do we need to? Well, because we are dependent on that person. Now, a healthy relationship is there's, a, there's an interdependence where you depend on them, they depend on you, but you're not lost if they suddenly die. It'd be very grievous. There'd be, be all kinds of emotions we'll go through, but you would not cease to exist if that person died. Now, the longer we're married, the more connected we are, and there can be obviously incredible, dark, deep periods of loneliness that you experience, which would be normal for the individual to experience. But the bottom line is, is that that conversation reveals to us that there is this active dependence upon each other. This is our life together. So when people say we talk about everything, well, that would be the norm, all right? We talk about everything, whatever that is. You know, you make all your plans together. You don't take, well, I guess some people do this, but most don't. We don't take separate vacations, all right? We don't eat dinner separately unless something's going on. You know, where there's, there's, we do all these things it's together. And so this conversation, which is what we kind of take for granted, kind of ne by necessity means that who we are as, as a couple, who we are as a family is dependent, and we show that dependence by conversation. But that's what prayer is. We, have a, we, we are dependent upon God. We enter into a relationship with God. We, we, he has adopted us into his family. What do families do when they get together? They talk. Right? So you go, if you ever go to a family, if, you, if it's a healthy family, and you go to a family reunion, it's loud. There's a lot of conversations going on at once. I remember one time, I, I, just talk, I was talking to Cindy about this a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, I, I don't remember who all was around, but, but I just kind of noticed it. So my son, my younger son, was having a conversation with me and one of his kids at the same time. They were having a conversation with dad and their siblings at the same time. Cindy was talking to Tori, and Tori was talking to Cindy, but Tori was also talking to Jan Michael a little bit, and Cindy was, I think, trying to get Jessica to do something. Jessica was having a conversation with, so we're all having multiple conversations out loud, and it was kind of like, it looked very chaotic, but everybody was just kind of in the flow. All right, that, but that's, but in the, how, that's how it is. And sometimes, when, when people get older, like really old, and the house is quiet, they don't like that. Okay, the silence doesn't bother them because they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. That's not what they're bothered by. That noise represented something, right? It represented the presence of the family, being together, just the life that we share together kind of a thing. 
So it's the same thing again when it comes to prayer. God wants us to talk to him. It, we have a new life in Christ because of him. He wants to be, because he is, a part of our new life. We want him to be part of life. He's orchestrating what's going on around us. He is one who's orchestrating who we meet, who we don't meet. All those things are all being orchestrated by God. God has given to us a full life filled with people and things and all this kind of stuff, and it's fantastic. And he wants to hear about it. You know, just like when we, again, you have conversations with your kids, you kind of already know how school went, but we want them to tell us how school went. But what we don't do, because it would be seen as being really mean, if we said to one of our kids, you told me the same thing yesterday about school. Don't you ever do anything different? <laughs> you know, that would be like, like, dude, what's wrong with you? All right? And especially when the kids are real young, they want to share with you. Right? They want to tell you. I remember one time, this was, the, this was one of the most, it was a brief, devastating moment in my life where I felt like that big. All right? And I've told you about it before, but it's important. I was having a conversation with my youngest son, who at that time was, I guess he was eight, maybe he was seven. Anyway, we're, we're having a conversation. I'm listening to the, to the radio, trying to listen to the news. And he's yammering away. You know, he's, he's deep in conversation with me. So I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we don't want him to hurry up and get over because I want to hear the news. Like, that's the most important thing in the world, which it wasn't. So finally, I said to him, he was telling me about something we had done in the past. I go, I know. What is your point? <laughs> and he said, this is where it happened. I get hit. He said, I just wanted to know if you remembered. Well, I was not dad of the year that year. All right, I just, I lost that one. All right, but that was his whole, now I was glad he was even able to express that because some kids go, well, I don't know. You know, that before. he was able to express that, which was great. And of course, it, it, it immediately resonated with me. Like, you know, I was talking to myself, you moron. Well, of course, because we share a life together. He, and for him, there was just great joy in remembering something we both were a part of. And he just wanted to relive it for a few moments by just talking about it. That's, that's not a waste of time. No. Right? It's not a waste of time. That's important. And, you know, sometimes we get, when you know, we have family reunions, how sometimes certain people tell the same story again. Right? And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes we laugh about it because it's funny. You know, like, oh, here we go again. Right? <laughs> or maybe we go, well, that's the same story, but it's changed. What are you doing? You know, whatever. All right? But the idea is, is that we share life together. So when, we, when it comes to prayer, then we talk about being involved in prayer and praying on a regular basis and talking with God. That's what we're talking about. It's not some super spiritual thing that, you know, only those who are gifted in, in the gifts of the Spirit can really engage in. Ah, we all can do this. Every single one of us. And that's what God wants us to do. And whatever, whatever way you speak, that's how you speak to God. That, God knows that. And, and there are times we can't even think of what to ask for. You don't have to worry. The Bible tells us that God even helps us when we pray. And so, so this idea here, again, is not, I don't want us to ever think that where we are, because Christians do this sometimes, you know, like, well, yeah, one, day I'll, one day I'll be there. Like in our mind, we have this idea that 
You know, the really mature Christian, they have this special room in the house. And you go in that room and you're there for four hours praying. Now, there have been some saints in the past who've had that. Those are unique and rare individuals. But they're not the only ones praying. Many people pray in many different ways. Sometimes we have jobs. You, you can't stop at your job. You can't stop and pray. You can still pray. That's not being disrespectful to God. Right? Again, just think about the conversations at home. You're washing the dishes. And your spouse wants to talk to you. We don't always stop the dishes. And, okay, well, I can talk now. Because if I'm washing dishes while we talk, that's disrespectful. We do that all the time. Then you have company come over. You're out there grilling, you know, some steaks. And the company comes out. And you guys start talking while you're grilling. That's not rude. Nobody thinks that out. There are times when we stop. When it's a heavy-duty conversation, then you stop doing certain things because that's really important. And, but, that's, but that's the key. That's what we do. But the normal way of doing things is you're doing things and you're talking. So, again, if you're driving your car, you can pray. You can get a lot of praying done. Just don't bow your head and close your eyes. Right? <laughs> Just, but you can do that. And you'd and you, and you be amazed. That's why, again, you know, I've heard me say this before. Sometimes uh, riding in your vehicle without the radio, without the podcast, and just the silence can be really good. And sometimes it can lead to where you, next thing you know, you just start praying. And you're praying for others or whatever, and, and next thing you know, you're at your destination. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, so, anyway. So I just want you to kind of keep that in mind, because I know that for some, many believers will admit they don't spend enough praying, enough time praying. They regret that. They really wish they would pray more. But I think for some, and maybe for many, they just have in their mind this idea that, you know, you have to be prepared mentally and, you know, get on your knees and fold your hands and all these different things you have to do. You don't have to do any of that. You really don't. Um, so anyway, uh, you want to make sure you pass it along to, you, to your kids and your grandkids as well that you can pray at any time in that way. So, verse 3 of Colossians 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So clearly, when Paul writes this, he's in prison. Notice that when you read what Paul is writing, Paul never brings up them praying for him to be delivered from prison. That's just not a thing for him. He's going to serve the Lord wherever he is. It's not a sin to pray for him to be delivered, but his main concern is he wants to make sure that he is continually sharing the word of Christ with us. Now, he is in prison for a unique reason. He is in prison because he is a Christian. That's, that's technically, that's why he's in prison. You know, that's all this stuff that's been going on in his life. You know, his, his fight against the Jews and, you know, them wanting him arrested and all the climate's going on. It's all because of his witness for Christ. So, he, so that is why he's there. Um, at the same time, though, this is his attitude. So that there's a day coming, I think, and I don't know if it's going to happen when I'm still alive, uh, it happens in other countries, and I've seen this with Christians who are arrested, where there will be times when Christians will be arrested. And again, it's not wrong for us to pray for those individuals to be released. At the same time, we want to make sure we don't forget to pray that, that while they're... Wouldn't you know that someone did not silence their phone? And then, of course, it's spam. So, get thee behind me, Satan. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
Anyway, so the thing is, is that, and, I, and I've read many, many, many accounts of this uh, from individuals who are in really bad prison situations where there is torture and things going on. But when you read their prayer request, it's always about representing the Lord well, uh, praying for their captors, wanting to see them come to Christ. It's, it's, it's either difficult to imagine that they really are suffering, but I know they are. Sometimes it sounds like someone else kind of got this to make them look like they're being super spiritual, and they're not. That's really where they're at. It really is. When, when, so here's, and so, and I think part of it is this, and I've, I've mentioned this before, because sometimes when it comes to persecution and coming persecution, which I think it's going to continue to increase, and it's, it's, it's going to, it may get pretty bad, but again, I don't know how long, so I'm not like doom and gloom. But the idea is this, is that the grace that you need to be able to deal with those issues when they arise, God will give you then. He won't give it to you today because you don't need it today. Right? Because the people sometimes say, well, I don't know if I can ever go through that. Well, I mean, you're not ready for it. But when that time comes, I'm convinced God will give because there's too many testimonies of too many individuals who sometimes even to their own surprise as to how they've handled these kind of situations. It, it never minimizes the actual real suffering that goes on there are Christians in other countries that are, they are tortured because they're Christians. I mean, they are tortured. They are, you know, there's, there is a, I don't know if you've ever read about it, um, and I've not looked recently in the last couple of years to see what is out there, but I know that in North Korea, I know for a fact that there are many Christians that are in prison camps and they are being treated in the exact same way that the Jews were treated by the Germans in World War II. Medical experiments are being done on them. Uh, they are, they are, they are, they demand that they work and they're not feeding them. Hundreds die every day, you know, where they basically work them to death. Um, they, uh, there's all kinds of threats where they, where they tell individuals, you do this or we kill your children. You do this, we kill your wife, we kill your husband. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, and it's a strange thing when it comes to, if you ever read the, any kind of psychological studies or articles on individuals who are involved in treating other people really, very cruelly, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil thing. Um, but when individuals are in a situation where they're not held accountable and they're, they're literally getting away with great cruelty, their cruelty increases. And they have, it, it less and less does it bother them, if it bothered them at all. I mean, it, it's incredible what happens. And so, these, so the inhumane treatment is ratcheted up uh, on a regular basis. It, it really is hard to even imagine um, and, and then realize it's really going on. Uh, even as we speak, it's, it's happening uh, kind of a thing. But even in those situations, those individuals, I mean, what God does for them, it really is incredible. And you, I just, it's just amazing. They will, if they ever escape, or if they're ever interviewed, they will talk about at times being tortured, but it's, they're never complaining. It's just, it's, just, uh, it's really hard to, to, to grapple and really grasp what that's like for those individuals. But we don't have to worry about that. Like, will I be able to endure that because God will give you the grace when that time comes? And part of, that's gonna, part of that confidence is gonna come as you and I develop the habit of praying on a regular basis. It's amazing 
how you will be strengthened spiritually when you begin to pray on a regular basis. You, you will have, so, so the word of God, God does use the word of God to change us and to transform us. So we're not skipping that. This is in conjunction with that. Um, and that is, so the Holy Spirit of God in conjunction with the word of God and then added on through the working of prayer really changes who I am as an individual. And, I, and so you will become more patient. You, a lot of things are going to happen. But also what will happen is this, is you, you, you may still have some of the difficulties that you have now. You know, maybe you get irritable with people or whatever. But there will be an increase in your guilt. There will be an increase in your sensitivity towards your sin. That's going to happen. There will be a, a stronger desire to overcome it. There will be a sense of loathing for yourself when you blow it. And so, the, so there's this, in some cases, incremental improvement in your life. Sometimes just jumps. Uh, but as we continue to pray, those things are going to happen. And all of us know the two easiest things to stop in the Christian life is reading the Bible and prayer. And those are the two most vital things. They're very, it's easy. I mean, gosh, I remember times in my life where it's like you, you've committed yourself. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be more conscious of this. be more aware of this. And I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that's on Sunday. And it's Friday morning, and I still haven't prayed yet. You know, I mean, I thank the Lord for my food, and that's all. That, like, what happened? I, I'm, not, I'm not conscious enough of my life. I'm not, I'm not awake. I want to be awake. You know, Lord, help me with this. And he will. He will. And, and those changes will come. Uh, but again, I just, uh, I, I don't want us thinking that somehow, because we meet, sometimes we meet individuals that do meet the stereotype of the, uh, of the Christian who really loves God, and man, they seem to have their act together in every way, and they almost float when they walk through life. And those are great people. I'm never going to be that person. All right? And that's okay. But you don't have to be that person to be what he's talking about. And so, I want, again, I want you to know that this, this, is, this is the normal Christian life. This is what all of us can be as Christians, and, and we can do this. Um, and uh, we'll have no regret. So here is Paul. He is in prison, and he wants these people to pray for him. And what does he want? He wants more opportunities for him to share the word of God with others. It says here, to declare the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? That's the gospel. That's the mystery. The mystery of God's love for sinners. That's the gospel. The mystery is God sending his son to die for us. That's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ is something that was at one time was not known and now has been revealed. So it's no longer mysterious to us. We know it. So it was a mystery, the mystery of Christ. And when we begin to explain to others, we are explaining the mystery, what they didn't know. It's been revealed through the word of God and we know it. And so that's what he wants to do. And, of course, that's why he says, on account of which, which is the mystery of Christ, the gospel, which is why I am in prison. He's not, he's not cynical about this. He's not, uh, there's no despair. Uh, he, he's not, he doesn't despise his captors or those who have even lied about him. And exactly, he doesn't hate anybody. He, that's why I'm here, because he knows that God is sovereign. God is in charge. And so he wants this open door um, of ministry, and he knows that God definitely is the one who's going to be able to do that. Look at verse 4. Speaking of this, okay, so when he says again, um, 
that God may open the door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That simply means what it says. He wants to make the gospel clear. He wants them to be able to understand what the gospel is. So that should always be our goal as Christians when we meet different people. When we have opportunities to share Christ, we want to make the gospel clear. So sometimes uh, we live in a day and age where sometimes people get confused as to what it means to make the gospel clear. So we're not, we're, we're never going to say this, we don't want to do this, we're not trying to make the gospel more appealing. Okay, you, you can't do that. We can't make it more appealing. We can't make it so that it's easier to swallow. Okay, the world left to itself, they hate the gospel, they hate God. That, that's normal. If we try to make the gospel more appealing, you end up changing the gospel. So we've got a, we got a problem. But we want to make sure it's clear so that we don't worry about what their response or reaction is going to be. That doesn't mean that, it, so if we're talking about them being punished for their sins, we're not like laughing about it. Okay, we're not doing that. But we want to make sure they clearly understand what we mean by this. So, so if I'm talking to somebody about the fact that God is love, I want them to know that, that the gospel is all about that. And that this is what love means, or this is how we understand love. God, because he's just, has to deal with sin. And even though a lot of people, they don't really connect with that, they can always connect with this. If an individual in our society is torturing and killing children, and they get arrested, and they go before the judge, what is the right thing for the judge to do? They're found guilty. The right thing is for those individuals to be put away for a long time because of what they've done. It doesn't mean that the judge is not loving. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we don't believe that person can change. It doesn't mean that. The right thing is sin must be what? Dealt with. There must be an accounting of what's been done, period. That, that's that's, that, that's the, the staple of life, okay? So we want them to understand that the reason why we talk about Jesus Christ being crucified is not because we glorify torture. It's not, be, you know, in fact, I've read a couple of books. There's, this, there's a book about this thick, um, and it's a, it's a uh, religion called, um, it has something to do with what they call urantia. urantia. It's a new age thing. Don't bother reading it. I mean, if you want to, go ahead. It's a complete waste of time. Uh, but the idea is, is that in these, some of these new age type uh, religions, when it comes to the crucifixion, they will say, because I've read it, they will say that it is an adolescent view of the world. That it's very immature. That when you're mature, we don't go there. I'm thinking, really? So someone tortures your wife and murders her? It's immature for us to hold them accountable for what they did? See, I, I think it changes when all of a sudden it's personal, because then you recognize the reality of what? Of what's taking place with the cruelty. Some people will say, oh yeah, even it's my own wife. I just, just see, I don't believe them. <laughs> They're lying to themselves and to me when they say that. But the bottom line is the, the expression of love is a love for both the oppressor and the oppressed, for both the victim and the victimizer. How does that express itself? And God did that by sending Christ, 
who then willingly was my substitute. He took my sin as if I did it, and then God punished my sin. So no Christian goes to heaven with unpunished sins. It was just that it was paid for by a substitute. See, the world, they, they, they get confused on that, and you can hear them sometimes when they, when they try to repeat what the gospel is. They go, oh, well, Christians just think that, that God's just going to forgive you like it's just no big deal. Uh, whoever said it was no big deal? It cost Christ his life. That, that's a big deal. When they say, well, you know, this idea that, that you know, just, well, we, did, we just forgive and forget like it never happened. Well, that's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. No one is ever acting as if it didn't happen. Because it happened, someone had to suffer and die so there could be freedom, so there could be forgiveness. That's what we want to make sure that they, that they really grasp that because the world is going to twist and misrepresent what the Bible says. They're going to do that. So we want to make it clear so that they understand what it is. And so that's what he's asking for. So here's an apostle who is still asking them when they pray for him that he'll be given, basically that he'll be given wisdom by God so he can make it clear to others. And, that's, and he says, he ends up by saying, which is how I ought to speak. So we're not trying to cloud the issue. We're not trying to hide what the gospel really is. You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. If the world thinks it's immature, they're going to think that anyway. We have nothing, we have nothing to be ashamed of. It's the most unbelievable truth that's out there. And it is unbelievably deep and complex in amazing ways. Um, and, um, and, of course, what's at stake is our soul. And there really is life after death. Hell is a real place, and people really do go there. Thank goodness heaven's a real place, and people really do go there. And you don't get to heaven because you think you've been good. Or even if you have been good. You've, no one's been good enough. That is just an impossibility. Um, and sometimes even the world thinks somehow that that's wrong. And uh, I even had, you know, I, I think one time I, it was, I got a call. It was out of the blue. Some guy, from, it was a student from SCAD. I have no idea how he got my number. He wanted to meet with me and talk. We met at Starbucks downtown uh, on a weekday night around 8 o'clock. Uh, I guess he was raised in the Christian church. He'd become an atheist. I guess he was... It was either it was bothering him or he had talked to his mom and he promised her he'd talk to a preacher. So I still don't know how he got my number, but I met with him. And so we, we sat down and we talked for about maybe an hour, hour and a half. And, um, you know, I challenged him on the way he was thinking. It was very, he was very inconsistent. So I was just saying, well, you're saying this, so that means this. Well, I don't believe that. Well, then, then you can't say this because that means that. So do you mean this? Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, I don't think you do, because if you mean that, then this. You know, and we just kind of went back and forth and, and um, uh, whatnot. And so what happens is, is, is that in the end, I was doing my best to make it clear. I think I did. In fact, I, I think it was so clear to him that he knew that he was in the wrong, and, but he, he didn't want to come out of that. He wanted to stay where he was, for whatever the reason. Um, and that, that's, how he, that's how human beings are. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, what you will learn about human beings is that no one refuses to come to Christ because they need more evidence. They don't want to come to Christ. It's always that way. They, they may have a hard time maybe admitting that, but that is what it is. 
Right? Because remember, the Pharisees were very familiar with many of all the signs and wonders that Christ did. They knew he did what their own teaching taught, which was only the Messiah can do this. And he did those things. And then they said, show us a sign. How many signs do you need? You know, we've, we've gone over before that there's, there were three specific messianic miracles that, that they all taught their people that only the Messiah could do. And he did each of those twice. And it was so overwhelmingly clear what he had done that at one point when the people were watching him do this, they asked, the son of David, I mean, is this the Messiah? And they looked to the Pharisees. And they had already determined, we don't like Jesus. And so what they had to do, because they couldn't deny what he had just done, he'd cast a demon out of a person who couldn't speak. They couldn't deny what he had done, so they had to say, well, he does it by the power of Beelzebub. And so they said he was demon-possessed. And of course, that's when Jesus then goes into this dissertation using logic, where he said, so Satan is divided against himself. Why would he do that? How can a kingdom stand if it's divided against itself? Right? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so the thing is, is that um, making things clear never means individuals are going to necessarily respond the way we want them to, but that's what we pray for, that's what our responsibility is, and we leave the rest to God in those situations. So here, this is what Paul, the, if the, Paul the Apostle is asking that they pray that he has the wisdom, clarity of thought to make it clear, we definitely want to make sure that we're doing the same thing. Then, it, then verses 5 and 6, he says this, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So most people will be able to figure this out, that outsiders um, are non-believers. They are those who are outside the faith. That's who the outsiders are. Um, and um, what we need to remember is that in general, people who are outside the faith are more interested in our walk than our talk. That's why the way we treat people is really very important. Okay? Uh, that lends strength to what we say when it comes to the gospel. So it doesn't make the gospel more true. The gospel is true but we're not detracting from it. So that's why I've said before that, that since we already know, none of, none of us are perfect, and we know that, and there are times that we mess up. So when you mess up in public, or when you mess up with non-believers, it is very important that you go to them and ask them to forgive you. Uh, and if, and if, you know, as, as I said before, sometimes that makes them a little nervous. They don't like the word forgive. They go, oh, no, it's no big deal. And that's when you have this opportunity to know it's actually it's a big deal to me because I'm a Christian and I really take, that, I take my faith very seriously and God has said that I should not treat people that way and I, and I, you know, I don't have an excuse. You know, I can say I was angry because it was irritable, whatever. They, oh, no, I understand. I'm not asking you to understand. It still was God holds me accountable and says that's inexcusable. And so I, I just need you to forgive me. All right, see, that, what that reveals, and I think I've told you before, People desperately want to see the truth of something they can sink their teeth into. So non-believers desperately 
want Christians to not fail. That's why sometimes the world gets angry when we fail. Why would they be angry? They're not Christians. They get angry because it's like we've just taken away hope from them. They don't believe, but they want to know it's there. At the same time, they do want you to fail. Desperately. Because when you fail, it lets them off the hook. Right? That's what they think. Nah, I don't have to bother with that. You know, it's clear it's not real. Whatever they're thinking. So that's why then when we go back to them and ask them to forgive us, it can be startling to them. Besides, we live in a culture, how many people do you know walk up to you and admit to you when they're wrong? We have a hard time doing it as husband and wife, right? Don't we, Cindy? <laughs> She'll tell you, I have a hard time admitting I'm wrong. It's really, really hard. All right? I don't like doing that. Uh, if you ever watched Happy Days, way back in the day, there was an episode, it's the only one I remember, when, when the Fonz had to apologize for something because he, he was wrong. And what made the whole show was he would say, I, he went to whoever it was, and I want you to always, and he could never get the word wrong out. He would even go in the bathroom and look in the mirror and, and practice, and it didn't work out real well. And it made it funny, but this is what made it funny. It's because we all can identify with that, right? Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. And if you, don't, if you, and if you, if you want to see a comical view of that, just watch our politicians. I don't give the Democrat, Republican, or whatever. Man, they have found all kinds of ways to uh, never, never admit that they're wrong. And of course, the most blatant was Trump when he said one day, I've never done anything to ever ask forgiveness for. I might go, there we go. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> yeah. So. Back to uh, verse 5. So the, the word conduct. All right, the word conduct, as you would imagine, simply means uh, an individual who is treading all around. It's a figurative way of talking about your walk, the way that you live, your, the way you order your behavior, um, the way you make use or the way you don't make use of opportunities, that kind of thing. The word conduct there, again, looking in the Greek language, is what's called present tense. So this is to be our continual way of living. It is an imperative, which means this is a command, not a suggestion. So the idea here is conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. So this doesn't mean that you live your life to um, accommodate them, though you may do that sometimes. You want to live wisely. That's the, that's the key here. All right, this is, so he's not saying... Be loving to them all the time. We want to be loving as Christians. But that's not what he's asking, what, he's, what we're praying for. What he's saying is to live wisely. Wisely then means you know when to say certain things, when not. When to do certain things, when to not. All right, so when I was a chaplain at the jail, there was a, a guy that was, uh, he, he, his company had the contract with the jail to serve the meals. He knew I was the chaplain, and so, so one time he came up to me in the hallway, and he said, I got a joke for you, that immediately makes me nervous when someone says that. Um, and then he said this, he said, I know you're an open-minded guy. And I said, time out, I don't think I'm as open-minded as you think I am. Because <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant by that. So I said, if this would be considered like an off-color joke, I just don't really want to hear it. So then, and so then he, he kind of, he was kind of surprised. And he said, 
why? I said, well, I'll be honest. I said, the very first reason is I might laugh. He said, what? I said, I'm a Christian. And I'm not supposed to be laughing at things like that. And I might laugh. And then it means, and I looked right at it, I said, that means you are going to be going to make me sin. He goes, ah. <laughs> what to do with that? And I said, I don't want to sin. And I said, but this can be easily avoided. You don't tell me the joke. And he said, fair enough. Apparently he forgot because about six months later he said, hey, Chaplain, I got a joke for you. <laughs> I, go, I go, really? He goes, well, I know you're open-minded. I said, I'm not sure who you're talking to. I said, but uh, he was Catholic. I said, you know, I'm not like your, the priest, you know. I knew a couple of the priests that he knew. I said, I'm not like your priest. He goes, oh, oh, that's right. So the thing is, is we want to make sure that we act wisely and we want to use it as an opportunity to talk about the Lord if we can. Right? And we've and we got to be honest about things. Right? We don't want to pretend you're something that you're not. Okay? So the idea is, though, is that we, that we are thinking about non-believers uh, in, in the context of this verse, in the way that we live and act. Because we represent Christ. For good or bad, we represent Christ. And we, and we want to make sure that we're doing it in, in, in the right way. So he also then says... And of course, so this would be the habit of our life, okay? This, it's just, it, we want to think this way on a regular basis. Then he says, making the best use of your time. So making the best use of your time, yes, he is talking about you and I sharing the gospel, but it is not only that. Okay, and the reason why that's important is because sometimes people get caught up in this thing that it's only about sharing the gospel. And that can actually be negative, Okay? So, let's say John is a pagan, and I meet John, and let's say that, that uh, John's my neighbor, and I'm driving on I-16, and I see he's pulled over, he's, he's got a flat tire, and he's having some issues. And so I pull over, and I start, you know, he says, look, I'm, he goes, I'm so glad you pull, you've uh, pulled over, you have a jack, I don't have a jack, and, and I, I have to get to Statesboro quick. And then I start sharing the gospel with him. That's not a good thing to do. I can still share the gospel, but I need to get my jack out of my truck. That's what I need to do, right? I need to get that thing out. I need to start jacking up his car and helping him get this thing because he already told me he's what? He's in a hurry. And I need to have respect for whatever it is he's got to get to. So I'm not saying that we don't share Christ. What I'm saying is it's not this exclusive thing that nothing else matters at all except for me saying whatever I want to say verbally. We want to make sure that we're really meeting the need of the individual. Okay? That, that helps us. In fact, often what will happen, if I do help him this way, one day he will remember that, and I'm banking on that. So I'll say, hey, you know, if he says, look, let's say he calls me up and says, I really want to thank you for me out that day, man. I was in a big jam. Say, hey, John, no problem. You know, John, we, we need to get together one day. Just, just, we haven't been together in a long time. We, we need to have lunch or something. And he might be thinking, oh, yeah, I can buy Bob lunch. Yeah, that ain't what I'm thinking. All right, but we can have lunch. We can start talking. Now, normally, because I help him in a jam, I don't have to say anything, I start talking about the Lord 
Guess what he's going to do out of respect? He's going to listen to what I have to say. Doesn't mean he's going to respond, but he's going to listen to what I have to say. Now, I don't want to take that time and start going on for an hour and a half. Okay, I also need to be aware of time. Okay, if he has time, great. Or if he starts asking questions, terrific. But if he doesn't, I want to make sure that, you know, kind of go through some things, explain the gospel, maybe invite him to church, whatever it happens to be, and then we kind of, and we move on. All right, so we want to do good for others. We want to be aware of these things. We want to, that's why we want to act wisely towards them. Uh, you want to be able to, as some people say, that you want to be able to read the room. All right, we're going to make mistakes in all of that. We just ask God to give us wisdom and to help us out to respond appropriately or to act appropriately towards others. So then when those opportunities come, we can take advantage of those opportunities in whatever way they come. And there will be times, that, I, that I'm, and I'm convinced of this, there will be times that God, because Ephesians tells us that God has created good works for us to walk in them. And so sometimes there's an association with those good works that we do because that kind of sets the table for us to be able to share the gospel with the individual later. Right? Or maybe even at the same time. So all those things kind of work together. God's already working that out, so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to try to figure this out like, oh man, okay, now what does this mean? Don't, don't worry, just do your thing. Flat tire, God's will for you is to help them change the tire. That's simple, right? All right, that's what you do. All right, so we don't have to make it more complicated than that. But the idea is to be aware that this person's a non-believer. And, and you want to keep that in, in the back of your mind. And sometimes that can be frustrating because you're thinking that and there's just no opportunity to say anything. Don't worry. Just keep praying. Say, you know, Lord, I, gosh, I, I mean, there was, just, there was no way to say anything. Because everything would have just been awkward. That's okay. Ask, just keep, you know, the Lord, sometimes the way is paved by a, a lot of these little types of actions. Let the Lord take care of that. God's pretty good at that. I mean, he, he can arrange all kinds of things. And he does. So we don't want to be driven by guilt. And, that's, and, I've, and the reason why I say that, maybe it's just because of some of the preachers I've been around when I was younger. I, just, I remember hearing them preach and trying to use, they're trying to guilt people in the sharing Christ. We don't, we're not trying to guilt anyone into doing that. Yes, it should be something we want to do. Yes, we all have different personalities and do it different ways. Yes, some of us may do it better than others, whatever that may mean. Um, but the bottom line is, is that uh, we are all to do it. We will get better at it through time as we grow as Christians. And we just ask God to help us to recognize opportunities that he gives us. And sometimes we even ask God to give us opportunities. And we will get better at doing that, at sharing with others. There's no professional way to do this. Um, and I'm also convinced that there will be people that you will meet, that you will share the gospel with in the way that you do it, that would be much more effective than me because my personality might clash with theirs. They might be thinking the whole time, this guy is just an arrogant know-it-all. They don't want to hear a word I have to say. But they know you, and they listen to what you have to say. There might be other times when I'll be able to share with others and, and that you've been talking to for a long time, and you're like, I can't believe that they're listening to Bob. Bob's just saying the same thing I said, and they think he... He invented the word, you know? <laughs> we don't get jealous. We just like, for whatever the reason, those connections are made. But again, God is in charge. And we, there should never be any jealousy about any of those kinds of things. Uh, we we want to rejoice 
when all those things happen, whether God uses me or you or both of us or someone completely different. Uh, we, there's nothing for us to brag about. Remember, none of us saves anybody, right? None of us can save an individual. God doesn't need any of us. I'll finish with a story, and then we'll pray and we'll be done. When I, first, when I became the chaplain at a small jail on the Big Island, uh, the second day I was there, I met a guy named John. John had been in isolation um, for, I think, two months. He was, the, he was in jail for murder. Um, he was acting up in the jail, and so they had to basically strip him down to his underwear, put him in this concrete room with a, with a, with a bed. Uh, not even a bed, just a mattress. So anyway, so, I'm, so John was finally released from, was released from solitary uh, the second day that I was there. And so I was talking to John, very pleasant guy. We talked, and, and he wanted to hear everything I was talking about. And so we talked for like almost two hours, and, and I was like all excited. He's, he is, everything I'm saying, he is eating it up. And I'm talking about the gospel and why Christ came. And he's just tracking with everything I'm saying. And, and I, I asked him, do you believe that Christ would forgive you of your sin? He goes, yes. And I said, would you like to ask Christ to do that? And he said, I've already done that. And, I, and I'll be honest, this is my thought. I've only been here two days. How could you have done that? Like it somehow was dependent upon me. But I didn't say that because they were embarrassing. So I said, oh, when did you do that? He said, oh, last week. And I said, well, who are you talking to? He said, no one. And I'm still thinking, I've been here two days. I don't, there's no way it's a real conversion, right? And so he told me the story. He goes into isolation. They felt sorry for him because he's in there by himself, taking the Bible. He opens the Bible up just randomly. He's reading like the book of Numbers or something. He gets angry throws it across the room because he can't understand a thing it's talking about. But, you know, boredom can set in pretty quick when there is nothing going on. So he picks the Bible up again, and there's something else in the hotel he starts reading, and he just gets really frustrated. He, I mean, he kind of tears it in half and throws it across the room. He's just mad. So several days goes by, and he picks it up again. He picks up the first half and looks at the table of contents, and he looks down and he finds his name, John finds the page number, goes and gets the other part of the Bible, because it's short in half, and he picks it up, and he finds the page number, and he starts to read John. And he reads the Gospel of John. Before he gets it done, he's crying. No one there to talk to him. He'd never been to church. He, all he knew was all this stuff that Christ was doing was for him. I have no idea how he came to that conclusion. But he's reading the Gospel of John, and God is speaking to him through the Word, and he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And it was a genuine, authentic conversion. It was awesome. And we continue to talk, and of course I'm, you know, in my mind feeling shame because I was thinking, I only got here, how could you be saved? Like God couldn't do it. God did it. But what convinced me was, he said, I've got to ask you one question because I've been thinking about this the whole time. I go, well, well what is it? Because I didn't know you know what he was in, in jail for. He said, he said well, I, this way, he did say this. He goes, well, I, I kind of I killed somebody. I mean, he shot him in the head with a gun, but anyway. And I, I, said, I said, okay. He said, 
well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian now, right? I go, yeah. He goes, I, how can I plead not guilty? I said, well, I, I, you can't. He goes, that's what I was thinking. I said, okay. I said, so what are you going to do? He said, well, call, call my lawyer. I said, oh, okay. He did. Called his lawyer. He got to change my plea. He said, I'm charged with, he was charged with murder too, because of the circumstances. He said, I'm guilty of that. I'm a Christian. I, I need to plead guilty. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was pretty cool. So the thing is, is God doesn't need us in any of this. He allows us to be involved, to see him working in amazing ways in the lives of others. And it really is spectacular and exciting. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your grace, your goodness, and again for the gospel of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that for those of us who believe in Christ, we've been saved from our own sin. We've been saved from the place that we deserve to go to, which is hell, and that you have a place reserved for us in heaven, and we are so grateful. We pray, O Lord, you would help each one of us to be clear and grant us opportunities to share the mystery of Christ with others. Help us, Father, to think in terms of what it says here in the way that we conduct ourselves and that we need to consider outsiders. I ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace. Watch over us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us again to recognize opportunities you give us throughout the week to do good for others as well as to share Christ. Thank you, Lord, for those who have shared Christ with us in the past. Bless us now, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.